0: Footballers' Lives with Richard Lenton is brought to you by the Phoenix Sport and Media
1: Group. Hello everyone, thanks for joining me on Footballers' Lives, the podcast that does what it says on the tin. I'll be interviewing ex-footballers about their careers and what they're up to since hanging up their boots this week I had a chat with a really underrated midfielder from the 90s and noughties. Sean Davies played in all four divisions for Fulham and also enjoyed spells at Tottenham, Portsmouth and Bolton. His footballing journey saw him play for the likes of Kevin Keegan, Jacques Santini, the late Ray Wilkins, Jean Tigana, and of course Harry Redknapp. He was also called up to the England squad during our Golden Generation, although it's fair to say his experience with the national team under sven and Ericsson is not what boyhood dreams are made of. He was at Fulham during the madness of Al Fayed and even moonwalked into a meeting with Michael Jackson at Craven Cottage. Sean's now working as an agent but he's hankering after a return to Fulham in some capacity so if the powers that be at Craven Cottage are listening then please give Sean a shout. Apologies for my sound quality in this podcast, I did have a few issues with my microphone but Sean is loud and clear so that's the main thing, enjoy. Enjoy. Thank you for joining us, Sean. I think the first thing I was going to ask you, I last spoke to you a few weeks ago and you were just about to grab your fishing gear and a few spiders and head down to the riverbank. And I've not heard from you since, so have you been down there all this time?
0: No, not all the time. I wish I was, to be honest, but it's quite personal to me because when I lost my old man, I kind of needed something to get away from everything because I'm the only kind of guy in my family. I've got two older sisters, a mum... I've got nieces, nephews. I've got my ex, my two girls. So I kind of needed something for myself to get away and what with everything that was going on. And I kind of started it just as to get away, but I, I kind of love doing it now. So it's kind of, I'm actually at the point now I actually want to improve at my fishing instead of just getting away. And as, as obviously people say camping, I want to actually be good at fishing. So I'm kind of getting really into it at the moment.
1: And how on earth, how do you get better at fishing? it's another not the thing where you can get a coach or what
0: oh, you, you you wouldn't you wouldn't believe it, but obviously I like to do carp fishing, so uh it's there's a lot to it. It's not as simple as putting sink on the end of the rod and put it in the water. You've as I've found out, you've got to know what you're fishing on and there's so much gear to buy and so much different stuff to use and when to use it. It's 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 very difficult actually you can go to a lake where there's loads of fish and all that but if you want to catch big fish and you want to do well you have to kind of you, you wouldn't believe but there's so many videos and so many stuff to use and it is quite expensive as well as well but you can do the cheaper version which i'm trying to
1: <laughs> well i remember seeing paul Merst on harry's heroes it, it wasn't for him I must admit, when I was a kid, it, it, yeah. for me. it wasn't for me either. But when we come out of lockdown, I might come down with you with, the uh, I was going to say a few ciders, but I'm more a wine mm. man, and I'll bring a couple of bottles of red down.
0: No, listen, you're more than welcome. But if you, someone would have told me I would have been fishing while I was playing football, I would have laughed them off. Maybe golf, but I just, I, like I say, I, I just like being there and just with my own thoughts. I like, I, like, I like my own company, to be honest. I know it sounds really boring, but. The older I've gotten, the more of experience in life. I just kind of like my own people. It sounds weird, but I think the older you get, people start to annoy me a bit more.
1: We've all been there, haven't we? So I suppose lockdown, yeah. lockdown for you would have been perfect then.
0: Yeah, it's been all right. I've been all right with it. The only thing, obviously, is with the hair. Obviously, my hair's everywhere. I haven't had a haircut for so long. Uh, I haven't been able to see my mum and sisters properly. Uh... But apart from that, yeah, it's not been too bad. Like a lot of people say, oh, have you missed going? Because obviously my job involves me going to games and watching players and interacting and stuff. I, the strange thing, I haven't really missed football, if that sounds crazy. I haven't really missed it. I, like since it's been back on, I think I've watched one game. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe obviously once the season. I, I just find it hard watching without without fans. And then when you put the the sound on it just it's just don't it's not right to me. There's no atmosphere, so
1: Yeah. I tried watching it like you, couldn't get on with it, but I did watch. Cheltenham against Northampton. I thought that was great, maybe because there was so much on the line. It was a playoff game and the team yeah. going at it, hammer and tongs. And it was just like watching a grassroots uh, game of football. But going from that grassroots level to the top level, I want to take you back. I thought we'd start with February 2003. And I'll tell you what, this was the last time I ever bothered watching an international friendly. It was, I think it was Upton Park, wasn't it? England against yeah. Australia. You were part of a 25 man squad. And Sven picked a team in each half to play against Australia. We lost the game 3-1. I think Franny Jeffers scored. It was Wayne Rooney's debut. But I think, unfortunately, you you were one of only three players not to see any time on the pitch. But what was that whole England experience like for you?
0: Do you want a political answer or do you want an honest answer?
1: Give us honesty, Sean. Come on. I hated it. In what way? I,
0: I just couldn't like we you met up in a hotel in the canary wharf everything was separated it it was kind of didn't really speak to too many people i knew a couple of the younger ones there it was very quick the training everyone wasn't joined in and training and when we did train do the 11 v 11 it was stop start uh and i I didn't play i didn't really get a chance it was kind of frustrating to be honest and it was weird like after the game everyone seemed to just go off there was no debrief it was really it was really strange to be honest i thought there would've been more of a kind of you know there wasn't really any team spirit for me when i went there there wasn't it wasn't it didn't it didn't mean much to me obviously i was so buzzing to get the call up but when i went it was just a massive anti-climax if you know what i mean it was it, I, and to be honest it was it was just a strange, strange couple of days. I think it was four days, three days or something like that. But, you know, it should have been, you know, if I would have played maybe and had a good game, I probably would have given you a different answer because I didn't get on. And, but, for instance, I'm the type of person, I, I was a part of Portsmouth when, the FA, when they won the FA Cup, but I didn't even, or wasn't even on the bench for the Cup final. So when people say you've won the FA Cup, I say, well, no, I haven't because I wasn't a part of the final. or I didn't play. I wasn't even a sub, so no, I haven't won the FA Cup. And that's the kind of, the way I looked at it, I didn't play, so it, don't really, it doesn't really count to me, I didn't get a cap, so yeah, I know it sounds really, uh, what's the word, like, oh, ungrateful or cynical, but...
1: Were you actually sat on the bench, thinking... That you I was sat on
0: the bench, yeah, thinking I might get a run around, uh, but I can't remember, I think it was it Scott Park on it? and Matty Upson. and I can't remember who was on the bench with us, but it was three of us looking at each other, thinking, "Oh no, we're the we're the dweebs. We're the <laughs> we're we're the kind of bomb squad players." You know, there's twenty five players, and three of us didn't get on. So, normally in your club, if you on the Friday, if you're not in in the uh, the squad, you're normally with the bomb squad. So it was kind of kind of the same feeling. And-
1: do you think then a lot of the senior players just saw it as a pointless exercise and a bit of a joke? The fact that it was one team in one half, one in the other, and do you think that played a part in that kind definitely, of? Definitely, a-
0: yeah, definitely. It felt like a pre-season friendly where it was just about getting. Well, it wasn't about getting fitness, but it just yeah, it didn't seem there was much importance to the game. It just seemed that it was just a fixture that you had to fit in, and obviously with when you change, when you know you're not playing the whole game, it kind of it's not really the same for getting up for a. You know, it, would, it. Hopefully, you know, it would have been more ideal if I was, you know, involved in a, in an international, you know, qualifier or something. Obviously, there wouldn't have been as much uh, players brought in, and probably wouldn't have got in the squad. Like when I was playing, there were so many midfielders in front of me. In front of me, it was, it was tough. Really, you didn't really expect to get in the squad. Like, I could name eight or eight or nine now offhand that you'd have to get by to get in the squad. So it's not like today where you, There's not really that many central midfielders or holding midfielders that, you know, if you're a holding midfielder and you're playing in the Premiership now and you're English, you're basically in the England squad.
1: Yeah, well, you say that and that was 2003, wasn't it? Obviously, the following year, 2004, when people talk about England's near misses at tournaments, I always look back to that 2014 because I thought we were absolutely sensational in that European Championships. And you mentioned midfielders. Paul Scholes, one of the greatest England players of his generation, had to play left side of midfield. So that's how yeah. it was.
0: Oh, Paul Scholes was very, very world-class, world-class, world-class player. Uh, you had Lampard, you had Gerrard, uh, you had Michael Carrick coming up, you had Jermaine Jennings, you had Joe Cole, you had Scott Parker. You had Danny Murphy. You had, uh, oh, there's loads. There were so many, Nicky Buck. There were so many players. It's like, and these
1: and are obviously, good. Uh, and obviously, Bex wanted to play central midfield as well, like he did, I remember, 8
0: Northern 9 Yeah, and obviously, yeah, yeah, you had Bex there as well. I remember being, yeah, because when we used to play for the 21s, I remember we played someone and won, and then we went and watched... Uh, England at Anfield, I think it was. I can't remember on Beck called a worldie that day. I can't remember who it was against, but we went and watched. And Yeah, they had, they, they had some top-class midfielders back in the day. And, and as far as strikers, I know when you get older, you always think, oh, the older generation always think you're better than what the younger generation are. But some of the strikers as well, maybe before 2003, maybe the you know late 90s, you know, Andy Cole, uh, Alan Shearer, Ian Wright, Stan Collymore, Robbie Fowler. There's so much world-class
1: talent. there you go. Teddy Sheringham. It was frightening, actually. It
0: was. It was. It just shows you, you know, the difference. You know, obviously nowadays it's not really centre forwards, really, is it? It's more about uh, wingers. And don't get me wrong, we got some exceptional young talents: Raheem Sterling, uh, Jadon Sancho, Marcus Rashford. They're all outstanding players, but they don't then the era where they didn't play in a two up top, are they? They don't, they don't really know about two up top. No one really plays two up top anymore, do they? Uh, it's
1: all about the ten, isn't it? All about
0: the ten. All about the ten, and all about the wingers. You know, the ten coming short. Our Liverpool player and the two wingers making the deep run and getting the ball off the third man run. So the game's changed, but changing in, in it always changes. One year's Pre at the back. Next year, it's the ten. Then it's wingers. It will go back. Hopefully, it'll get. I, I'm always. I always loved our formation at Fulham, the, the diamond formation with two up top. Uh, that that was the most successful formation I played in, and most the best team I played in. So I always, you know, when when people ask me what formation I will play, I'd always say the diamond.
1: Hmm. Well, let's go back to the start of your professional football journey because it wasn't straightforward. Um, and you you talk about how players the modern game and players come through in a very different way. I mean, you you had spells at clubs like West Ham, didn't you? But then you drifted out of football for about a year and you were painting and decorating with your old man, were you? Oh,
0: well, yeah, I lasted a week with my old man. I lasted a week. Uh, I made a lot of cup of teas in that week, if I'm honest. He loved a cup of tea and a roll-up. But I used to just sweep up and do bits and bobs but yeah I only lasted a week he, he just turned around to me and said you better make it as a footballer because you're useless as a labourer <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so you were no good on the tools at all I mean no
0: I'm terrible terrible anything fixing or putting a picture up or shelves oh this is not not my game
1: no so did it make you more determined your dad saying that to you but also experiencing a bit of so-called real life work
0: Uh, Yeah, no, I was always, i never forget, I was at Wimbledon for a while uh, and got released. And then I went to West Ham for six weeks and got released. And to be there, my mum used to take me to the football. And I saw the look in her eyes when I got released from West Ham. It's like really upset her now. So I kind of made a decision to stop because I didn't want to upset her because I thought, oh, I'm not good enough really. Well, not at that level anyway. So kind of stopped and just played football in my local area, Clapham Junction and then ended up obviously getting a trial for Fulham but when I got the trial for Fulham I said I'm just going to do it by myself. I'm going to limit not really involve the parents. I'm going to try and do it by myself and see where it gets me so and thankfully the rest is history so uh, but I, I... I probably wasn't good enough at the time to be at West Ham or Arsenal. In my Sunday team, we had a lot of good young players that were at Arsenal, Wimbledon and uh, West Ham, Garrett Alexander, Julian Gray, Alan McLeod. had a lot of good players that that were uh, at those and I wasn't at that level just yet. So I had to take a step back to go forward and thankfully I went to a club at Fulham that now, when I first joined, the best car, the best car in the car park was a Mondeo, and then when I left, it was a Bentley. So, that 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 is the kind of the the kind of trajectory Fulham went in, you know, from, from start to finish.
1: Yeah, and was that trial game for Fulham? Is that the one where you went there with a few lads in a black cab?
0: Yeah, well, I never forget. I never forget sitting in that black cab, and I think there was four or five of us. One one guy I knew really close. The rest kind of didn't really know that well. But yeah, we there was the only way to get to the game. Didn't really think. Jumped in the cab. Got there. It was a Yule West or Yule East. I can't remember the station. Got out of the cab. Ran. Run over the tracks. This is just stuff that you shouldn't really do. Jumped over the tracks. Down the steps. Into the ground. Got changed. Oh, you're late. You're all playing. As we're running out onto the pitch, the cab driver just runs out. are you, man. It was like, oh my God, like we, literally Alan Cork pulled him to one side. We played the game. Luckily for me, I, you know, I didn't even play that well. I just worked my socks off. Then after the game, everyone got released apart from me. So it was it was, a, it was definitely something that I would never do again. <laughs> First and last time I'd ever jump a black cab especially. Yeah,
1: you don't mess about with them lads. Ever.
0: No, no, you don't. I think Alan Cork had to cough up the money. <laughs> so
1: but yeah
0: it could have all ended there really if I well they didn't see something in me that you know thank thank God that Alan Corks saw something in me to say you know come on So I think a couple of weeks later I went and trained with the youth team and done okay done really well actually then and uh, when it was at Fulham it was more about working your socks off and working for your teammates and you know just and obviously I To be honest, I was more of a flair player when I was younger. Obviously, when the older you get, you realise that if the manager doesn't trust you or the manager can't rely on you, you're not going to play. So I kind of had to taper my game back, really, and I ended up being a holding midfielder winning tackles. So it was was weird because I was more of a flair player when I was younger.
1: Well, that's interesting, yeah, to make the manager put more trust in you, I suppose. I think that's, that's a really interesting point uh, that you've made there because it is so difficult for a young... You were 17 when you made your debut. Do you think that was one of the reasons why October 1996, you got that run out for the first team as a 17-year-old?
0: Well, I didn't actually taper the flare down then. I think it was more when remember took over. I think. I, remember we played, I think before that game, we played Chelsea away uh at the old chelsea i think it's qpr training ground now harrington and uh we played against chelsea and one of the younger lads younger pros paul brooker i remember he, he played in that game as well and I, I just worked hard really didn't get much of the rude hood was playing for chelsea It was like, oh my god because i was a, like, a chelsea fan then i was so starstruck but just worked hard you know run about tried to kick a few people uh we didn't have the ball that much. I and mean, then I remember we was cleaning boots. I was with my good pal now today. There's two or three of us cleaning boots outside the cottage, literally having a laugh and a joke with the youth team. I literally, this is literally before the first team go out for the warm-up, like 20 minutes before they go out for the warm-up. Alan Cole comes across and goes, put those boots down. And he went, actually, give those boots to Giggsy." My mate, Ryan Gray, give those boots to Giggsy. So... Went, You're not with these mugs anymore. And because I, I was cheeky, I started laughing and I threw my boots at my mate. And obviously, he called me the C word. Uh, but went into the dressing room thinking, oh no, what have I done now? Because I was always getting in trouble for kind of, I used to hide when the jobs were on, like sit in the cupboards like, and hide. Because like, we had one, one player in the youth team called Patsy Palmer, or his name was Ryan Palmer, but we just called him Patsy, as you know, as footballers' nicknames. And he used to work so hard doing all the jobs and that. And he used to be in my group. So we used to let him do all the jobs and hide and I'd have tea and biscuits. And I always used to get caught and always in trouble. So I literally thought I was going in to the dressing room to get a stick from Mickey Adams. Because Mickey Adams used to hammer me every day for some reason. I know now it's to get the best out of me. But went in there, sat down in, and then he named a team and then he named the subs. And I was on the bench and I was thinking, what's going on here? I didn't realise I'm actually on the bench for the first team. It was because Paul Brooker didn't work hard in a reserve game, and he wanted to make a kind of listen. You didn't work hard. That young lad worked his socks off. That's why he's on the bench instead of you. So that was kind of the main reason I was involved.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and then you actually got on. So <laughs> seven oh, oh, minutes,
0: was... seven or eight minutes. Yeah, seven oh, or eight well, minutes.
1: I've just checked it out. It was longer than that. It was twenty-one minutes in a three. Was it twenty? Homes of Cambridge, yeah. Well,
0: it seemed seemed less than that, to be honest. I didn't really touch the ball that much. It was a weird feeling. I kind of kind of all flew by straight away. I didn't really make an impact into the game. The game was kind of over anyway. Uh, but yeah, it was. I was buzzing, and obviously my dad came to the game. I think Alan Cork rang him up and gave him a ticket, so that was good. Uh, that was kind of a self achievement that I've, I've done it now. Not done it, but kind of thought I've made it at that time. Yeah, I've, I've got a chance here. And didn't play again for like another season or so. so.
1: No, I was going to say, I've just checked this out. You didn't play, you weren't involved with the first team again for another two years. So you must have had a stinker.
0: Oh, no, I was, well, not so much stinker. I was probably just, I was the always, I think it was 15, 15 was it three or Three subs back in the day? Was it three or four subs? But I always used to be the 16th, the last man, the guy who didn't get picked to travel and done the tee because I was younger I helped the tees on the coach and, I remember traveling to Carlisle a couple of weeks later when they actually sealed promotion and I literally had to make teas all the way from London to Carlisle and a coach.
1: That's character building, isn't it? You're not going to get that so much in this. No,
0: now, nowadays that will be seen as bullying and, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, would, that would never happen now. And for me, it was great because, you know, every time I went to sit down, I get a coffee, get a coffee in. Then they won the game, got promotion on the way back. They literally piled me with beers, piled me with beers. I was literally, Simon. I remember Simon Morgan, the captain, and all that just giving me beer after beer. And I thought it was great, but then we, obviously we got off the coach the other end, it's like two in the morning, and Mickey Adams goes, yep, yeah, you've got to report, report back to the cottage in the morning for training. I was like, oh my God, and then got, got to the coach, and we done the bridge run, which is from Craven Cottage to Hammersmith Bridge, over Hammersmith Bridge, back all along the river, over Putney Bridge and back. And I was literally, this beer was just pouring out on me. I was struggling so much, but I had to put it in because I didn't want them calling you big time or, oh, you think you're in the first team now, you're not trying hard. So it was, yeah, that was tough.
1: But they must have known, all your teammates must have known that you'd had a drink as well.
0: Oh, yeah, they could smell it on me, I was stinking.
1: <laughs> so that pre alfired era at Fulham was very different to the club that it became. You were obviously washing your own pitch. You mentioned the best car was a Ford Mondeo at the time. You yeah, were off the pitch. But the next time you played in the first scene was two years after your debut. Mickey Adams had gone. I remember it being. I remember thinking how unjust it was back in the day. But obviously Al fired came in. He brought in uh Ray Wilkins as manager and all of a sudden in the first team you got Chris Coleman, John Salako, Peter Beardley, Paul Brace. Yeah, Changed massively in that short period of time, didn't
0: it? Yeah, the the quality, the quality went up massively. Uh some good characters they 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 brought in, especially Chris Coleman. Uh training, yeah everything kind of intensified, you know, the kit, better kit. they moved training grounds a couple of times. Uh yeah, it was a tough period. But it, was, it was tough, you know, having been in the first team and then not in it, and then just in it, just playing in the reserves all those years. But I loved it then. I loved going in. I loved, I loved my mates. I loved just training. I loved playing. Those are probably the best times, you know, and just after the U team, first year, second year, pro. You know, I just really, really enjoyed it. Never, ever thought about money whatsoever. It, wasn't, it was the last thing on my mind. Has obviously been in the agency business. Now it's kind of the first thing on people's minds. So it's, it just I feel sorry for them a little bit because they're just thinking what they can get instead of just playing for the love of the game. Mm. That I think that's been taken away from them a little bit. But obviously football's so massive now and so much money in the game, and you can have an agent from the age of that's, well sixteen. But I know certain people try and you know look after these players from younger. So. I'm happy the way i done it if I'm honest I'm happy the way I came through and I'm happy with the memories that I have of just playing football because you loved it
1: Yeah yeah well footballers are much closer to the average working man in terms of wages and etc cetera, etc cetera. so there was more of a connectivity but with Ray Wilkins coming in obviously it was an exciting time but did it also really add pressure on yourself to up your game when all of a sudden you're surrounded by these people or were you able to just be young and free and enjoy it?
0: No it was there was a little bit of pressure but you need pressure in football you need to have that nervous you need to be nervous I always nervous before a game but I loved Ray Wilkins especially Ray Wilkins and God rest his soul and he brought in a guy called Frank Sibley who was assistant manager and these to help you i remember the first game they come to watch us i think we played watford in the youth cup and they actually came to the game and you know after the game I'm, i always remember to this day ray wilkins went i oh, remember that pass you played with the inside of your foot you know it was going towards why don't you try it with the outside of your foot and, you know in a, a, just little things like that you think wow he actually came to the game is ray wilkins has given me advice it was, it was, it was brilliant and I always respected Ray Wilkins because I knew he was try, always trying to get me into the team when he could. So, And Frank Sibley especially he used to work hours on the training pitch with the young players, which was brilliant.
1: Mm. It was a strange time in many respects though, wasn't it? Because Kevin Keegan came in, he was kind of in the background. I think he was making signings and doing more of a general manager or technical director kind of role. But he'd obviously been at Newcastle previously and he was... With with the personality that he had, I imagine he really just wanted to get involved, didn't he? And he eventually took over from Ray. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't yeah. a strange time. though.
0: It was, yeah, <laughs> it was weird. It was, it was kind of you got two big, you know, footballing icons in and Keegan, and yeah, just you knew that one it could, you couldn't, you couldn't be both of them it was either one or the other, and then and eventually, you know, Ray left and and and, and Kevin took over, so. You could do it. It never works like that in football. It was a similar spell at uh, Tottenham. Really, I got signed by Santini. Arneson brought me in, and Martin Yole was the number two, who wasn't who wasn't Santini's. I, I don't, I'm sure he wasn't Santini's pick to be assistant manager, and you could tell there was one. Joel wanted the job and Santini didn't really want him there and then Joel obviously he got sacked Joel's come in it doesn't work when you've got two big personalities there. You, just, you need one figure one boss and everyone knows that it, it, it was a similar situation with Wilkins and Keegan
1: I think with both of those situations it's where that kind of technical director that European model started coming in but yeah. maybe maybe the English game is more suited to the kind of old-fashioned way of doing it, where the manager runs everything. He makes his own signings, he picks the teams, he sorts it out.
0: Yeah, yeah. It all depends how the club want to run it. You know, if they're bringing in a coach, then fair enough. But I think nowadays, it's more coaches and then you have the people, the technical directors and the head of recruitments and the head of academies. If that's the way you want to go, there's loads of models out there that work. Obviously, if you're bringing in a manager that wants to do everything, then he needs to know and you need, both need to be on the same page if they're not on the same page it's just going to be a recipe for disaster because with football it's especially higher up it's a lot about egos and people wanting to do this and look good yeah it's it doesn't work do you know what i mean I, I suppose nowadays the coaches if they want the technical directors and they want people to do the recruitment or they give a list and then they go out and try and get them and that's probably the best way to work it at the moment because you don't really get the managers that want to do the other, all the other side of the stuff.
1: Yeah, no fair point. Let's take you to April 99 now. Kevin Keegan's the manager. You're, you're pushing to get back in the first team. You ended up having a run at the end of that season. That You were involved in the squad on this day against Wigan at Craven Cottage. What do you remember of Michael Jackson's little visit? and Did he moonwalk into the dressing room? Uh,
0: yeah, do you know what? I was sceptical. because like, is it him? Is it him? And all of that was like, oh, it's him. Of it's him. And I was like, mm. I remember there being a few like jokes and banter around the dressing room. But I kind of, it was so surreal, really. Michael Jackson, sure. Uh, but it was kind of vague to me. because I, really, I don't think I played that day. Did I play that day? No, I
1: think you were involved, but you didn't play.
0: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't play that day, so it was a bit weird. Like, is it him? Is it not him? I was sceptical. I'm always a cynic anyway. So. But yeah, it was a strange. I didn't actually speak or say anything to him, so I can't really report much about it.
1: And it was, it was pre-smartphones. I mean, if you'd have had your iPhone on you, would it have been a selfie with Jacko? Uh,
0: no. Do you know why? I hate selfies. I'm not a selfie guy. I hate taking pictures. I hate myself in pictures. If I know if that someone else was taking it, I probably might have jumped in, but I wouldn't have taken one myself.
1: <laughs> and what, what did you think about the statue? Michael Jackson getting a statue at Craven Cottage?
0: Typical Alpha Ed. Really, it was just the typical him. It was he was such a nice guy though to, to the players, and he's always laughing and joking. And I never forget the first time he came and he played, and we come in after a game there were all these gold bars, literally gold bars on everyone's place. initially I'm thinking, Jesus, gold bars. And then you get closer and closer and it's literally a Harrods gold bar. This in the shape of gold bar, but it's it's Toblerone. (laughs) Which was bloody lovely. I'm not gonna lie to you, it was nice. But those are the things he brought in and he used to come in and have a laugh and a joke with the players. You know, he always used to mention Viagra for some reason, but I don't know why, but, uh, yeah, it was, a typ- it was a typical, typical Alpha thing to do to put a Michael Jackson statue there.
1: Yeah.
0: But he'd done a lot for the club, you know. A lot of people were sceptical that, you know, he was coming in to kind of move Fulham away from Craven Cottage and build a bunch of flats there and make a mint. But he actually put a lot of money into the club. I think it was the first club to, you know, put a million pounds into the women's football team. Mm. So I thought it was more, you know, Good for the club, what he did, and I yep. think he genuinely loved the club. And I think the fans genuinely loved him as well.
1: No, I think most Fulham, Fulham fans will definitely agree with you there. Uh, but in terms of statues, do you think the only player to play for Fulham in all four divisions will get a statue one day?
0: Who, me? <laughs> oh, I, I doubt it. Very. I, I was pushing for a lounge, you know, the Sean Davis lounge, so I could you know, go back there and work there. And ideally, I'd love to work for the club, to be honest. You know, it's. I know a lot of obviously players. You know, like mates of mine are ambassadors at clubs, and for me, probably the perfect job would be ambassador for Fulham. You know, I know it's probably me trying to plug a plug a position that's not really there, but forget about the statue. I'd rather you know work at the clubs Cause I used to do a bit in the lounges, do a bit in the column. Uh, but you know, I feel like I could do most jobs. You know, I could help with the kids in the academy. I could do recruitment. So ideally, that would probably be my 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 ideal job that would probably get the most satisfaction out of uh, yeah. being probably a Fulham ambassador. But you know, the, no disrespect, Fulham's a family club. But at least not as global as Human Man United or Liverpool's or stuff like that. So it's probably they're more worrying about you know keeping the finances regular than making a job for an ex player. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, we'll work on that. You know, we'll have a, we'll have a word. But I think um, most Fulham fans will probably say that the Jean Tigana era brought the most entertaining football to Craven Cottage. What what was he like? Uh, because he'd done well at Lyon and Monaco, hadn't he? And he'd come with a yeah. recommendation from a certain Eric Cantona. So, not a bad pedigree.
0: I, I think, obviously, the late, oh, he's just passed away during the COVID, uh, Bill Muddiman. He was massive at Fulham. He's passed away now. He was massive and integral, I think, in bringing Jean in, and he loved Jean. Uh, It Everything changed straight away as soon as he joined the club. Everything just went to another level, diet, uh, stretching. Everything just went... You kind of heard about it, Whispers, under Arsene Wenger, and it was like... Bang! This is our turn now. No ketchup at table. At the dinner table, no fizzy drinks. Uh, stretching for hours before, for after. Everything went so professional. Four, four training sessions a day in pre-season. It just went ultra professional. The players were unsure, but when they started seeing the effects on the pitch, everyone bought into it, and that's when it just took off. But I say you could have so many great ideas as managers and all that. But if the players don't buy into it, you've got no chance and the players literally bought into it, the big characters bought into it. Chris Coleman's, uh, uh, who else was there at the time? Kit Simons, uh, Barry Howes, Lee Clark, they all bought into it and then once the big characters buy into it, the rest follows and it just went to another level and every player, I think, he got 25-30% 20, out of every player. Every player was one in the ball every player was fit every player was healthier every player was hungrier it was just it was just just uh, what's the word I'm looking for it was just such a change it was went so not that it wasn't professional before but it just took it to another level
1: yeah yeah, yeah. and to do it at the championship level club probably even tougher to do but then I suppose you were lots of young, ambitious lads there as well as those experienced players that you mentioned. And to win that league, which is, I, when I used to present um, Premier League football out in Asia, I always, we we did the football league as well and I always used to say, it's the most competitive league in the world, the championship. So to win that with 100 plus points, what a season.
0: Yeah, it started off obviously, I think 13 on the bounce. Uh, There's a lot of key factors to why it went so well. Obviously, I talked about, you know, the, the stretching and then the fitness and a lot of players staying fit. Uh but the quality that we have within the squad, you know, it's players went on to do so much, you know, had Stephen and the right back probably one of the best right backs I've played with along with Glenn Johnson. He was just so consistent. He went on to you know win so many trophies at Liverpool and he was just such a quiet character, but on the pitch he was people used to say a yeah, seven, six, seven, you know, you know what you're gonna get out of him, but he was more than that. He was he could play right-footed, he could play left-footed. Um, didn't seem that quick, but not many people got past him. And Obviously, he brought in Louis Sahar, who just was unbelievable at the time. Uh, got the best out of Lee Clark, who was probably uh, such a great footballer, you know. No pace whatsoever, a bit like myself, but always great first touch, always time on the ball, creative, scored goals. Uh, I'd say the thing that won it was probably the spine down the middle of the side you know you had Mike Taylor in goal who was an international you had Chris Coleman who was probably the best captain I played for uh, Lee Clark who was you know such a big character and such a good player and you had Louis Sahar up, or Barry, Barry Howes and Louis Sahar up top who were a focal figure that whole spine and then the rest kind of you know fitted in well with it you know people like Louis Palmore, Fabrice Fernandez Vianney Goldbeck uh, Rufus Brevett, probably one of the best seasons he's ever played uh, so, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a pleasure to play in such a great team, if I'm honest.
1: Yeah. Well, six of you Fulham players got into the PFA Championship team in a year. Uh, you know, yourself and Lee Clark were the midfield too. So, you know, you were, you were really pushing then and to get into the Premier League. But how did Tigana make you all feel like you were ready to compete once you'd gone up into that Premier League level?
0: Do you know what? He was so calm and relaxed. Everything, attention to detail on the training pitch. He had good people around him. He had Cristiano Damiano, who was the coach, and he had a fantastic guy, and a guy called Roger Propes, who was the fitness coach. He used to do everything, but he just wanted us to play. He wanted us to feel free. He wanted us to uh, you know, be allowed to you know, express ourselves. Like, If he lost the ball, we'd say, Keep, don't worry, don't worry, keep playing, keep, keep playing. He never used to say that much in the changing you know? room. He used to sit there with his toothpick in his mouth, reading a book or something. Never used to really get angry or animated. There's only three or four times I can remember him proper losing it or getting really excited. But he used to be so relaxed. He used to be a calming influence in the dressing room. And obviously a lot of the players respected him because of what how he, he played the game as well and he used to join him with training or only head tennis and he was still unbelievable at that. But like I say, the players bought into him, and players kind of you know, loved it the way he wanted us to play football. You know, he just he wanted us to play out from the back, uh, wanted us to work hard. You know, wanted us to be everyone to improve. And as a coach, you know, that's probably the bet what what you want you want to improve every player, and I think he did that.
1: Did it help? Do you think that your first game of the season was away to Manchester United, just straight in at the deep end?
0: Yeah, I think it did because we played well that day as well. We played really well. I think we were unlucky to get away. We were losing, to be honest. We actually lost the game. We thought we were gutted because we lost the game. We thought we deserved something out of it. Uh, and lucky for us, I think the next game was on the Wednesday or the Tuesday, and we managed to beat Sunderland. I think it was 2 0 at home. So uh, we bounced back straight away. And I could say, uh, after playing in that game myself, I felt that, you know what? I was a bit worried, you know, going into the game, thinking, am I good enough at this level? Because obviously I'd came from the third division, you know, i come from thinking, geez, I've been on this elevation, and this is the next step. And I was surprised how much time he got on the ball. It was weird, you know, because the higher up you go, the more time you get on the ball, a strange feeling. And I remember getting the ball literally after two minutes, got hit, no one was around me, turned, pinged one about 50 yards, Louis Sahar made it look like a great ball took it down over his shoulder and then scored. And I thought, oh, this is easy. It was it was more challenging, you have it, we have it. Because if you lost the ball, you took a long time to get it back. Whereas when you're in a championship, if we lost it, we could get it back quick and play. But in a Premier League, you lose it, you're chasing for them for five, ten minutes. So that was the difference in the quality of finishing. If you gave a chance away, it was a goal. So the difference in quality between a championship and a Premier League would probably have been you know, obviously better players, but most of the work was done in the final third. You know, you were allowed the balls in certain areas of the pitch. Well, that's that's what we found in that first game. Was so much time on the ball, Old Trafford. It was crazy, really. But the quality of opposition—if you lost it and if you gave away a chance—and you'd be punished immediately.
1: Yeah, and I suppose you have to have a. Player who can score what fifteen, twenty goals a season just to complement everything else you had because the recruitment seems to be good with the likes of John Collins coming in there, Steve Maltbron, Edwin van der Sar. But why do you think it didn't quite kick on, and John Tigana eventually lost his job?
0: Do you know? What, I don't. I I just think he fell out with the chairman. I think there was a fallout at some level. I think a few signings didn't go well. Uh, a lot of people speculate, speculate about the Steve Marley signing and you know, too much or too less or he didn't perform. But for me, I just think it fell down to he probably fell out with the with the owners. You know, I think just thing didn't click. But we were all gutted to see him go. Uh, it was a shame, you know, that he, that he left. You know, if he would have come in for me at another club, or I would have I would have joined. I would have left straight away because I just loved owe him so much I mean I would have played under him under any team but or apart from QPR but <laughs> uh, yeah it was I think generally when a manager goes it's probably down to you know bad results or a fallout from the people up top
1: yeah and that was that And then well, it was longer
0: than now nowadays you, only, you get three or four games you lose three or four games there's so many pundits and so many opinions now yeah that you, you lose three or four games and your job's on the line already, oh. even if they have just brought you in.
1: There's loads of experts there on social media, isn't
0: there? Oh, everyone, everyone. Well, that's some of the beauty of football, you know. Even when you go into a pub, hopefully, Fourth of July, bring it on, you go into a pub and everyone's an expert, which is great. And I never join in, to be honest, because it's, I just, yeah. I,
1: too busy fishing
0: well too busy fishing but i i'm kind of the person if you've got an opinion then it's your opinion unless you ask for me ask for my opinion i won't give it Very i'm rude. that kind of person yeah I, if you ask me personally then i'll say yeah I'll, I'll give you my but i won't just throw it out there i've never been on twitter i've never really done i've done instagram but not that much uh probably just to check up on my little girl's account but Never really been a social media person, never really throw out my opinions, to be honest, like that.
1: Yeah, there's nothing wrong with being the anti social media in this. Uh, <laughs> different and refreshing. But you mate Chris Coleman came in as manager when John Tigana left. What was that like going from teammate to manager? That must have felt a bit strange in the dressing room. Yeah,
0: it was a bit, it must have been so hard for him to, you know, because he was such a vocal part of the dressing room. He was such a, you know, he was probably the funniest, the best banter. He just he knew when to joke, he knew when to be serious. It was strange, but to be honest, he knew the game inside out, you know, it's proven in his record, obviously taking whilst to the semi-final of the of the Euros or World Cup, I can't remember which one it was, but it was just must have been really tough for him, but he knew one thing that the players will work their socks off for him. He knew he knew that.
1: So how awkward then was it handing in a transfer request? <laughs>
0: so oh, on, horrible, mate. horrible, horrible. To be honest, if I can remember, he asked me to put that transfer request in because he didn't want to be seen to be selling me. So I kind of done him a favour on that one.
1: So did not get the winner out of it at
0: least? But then I didn't leave then. I filed a medical, didn't I, ever, and come back, got booed for about six weeks playing for Fulham and then ended up playing the whole season, doing all right, and then come back and then Spurs came in for me and then they accepted a bid, and but before Spurs come in for me, I was kind of agreeing a new contract at Fulham, and yeah, it was it was difficult really. It was a, it wasn't a really a, a warm goodbye. It was a kind of, but we made up after that,
1: so it's fine. What you and Chris or you and the fans?
0: Or both, I think. But me and Chris are fine now. Well, hopefully we are
1: anyway. So, how did the Spurs move come about then? You were, you were trying to sort out a new contract at Fulham. Was it just a case where you thought, do you know what, I've missed out on that move to Everton because uh, I think it was a bruised knee at the medical. Yeah. Game. But then uh, Tottenham came in and you must have been thinking, crikey, I've got half a chance of winning trophies here. I've just got to go for it.
0: Uh, yeah, it was, do you know what, after the Everton move failed, I thought, do you know what? I'm never doing that again. I'm going to stay, stay at Fulham for the rest of my career. And uh Tottenham came in, it was ugh. Do you know what it was uh, if i might, it wasn't about money. I think Fulham offered me more than Tottenham. It was more about uh am I good enough to play for a big club like Tottenham? No, just for man, am I big enough to go and play for a big team like Tottenham? Would, what would it be like playing for a big club? You know, is it the next step in my career? You know, I've had this trajectory from full, third, second prem, you know, fighting relegation, you know, mid table with Fulham, can I being a team that's fighting for, you know, Champions League, and I decided to go. I wasn't 100%, but I thought, you know, I'll go, went, and then just went downhill from there, to be honest.
1: Well, it was a strange time, wasn't it? Because Jack Santini, the forgotten Tottenham manager, he signed you, but you, you were explaining earlier that Frank Arneson wanted Martin Yolin. So, so, it wasn't necessarily then a case where the players didn't fancy Santini. It was all, everything that was going on behind the scenes that ended up forcing him out, was it?
0: Yeah, it was a strange click. I remember being in a practice match and Santini was like, it was a corner. or something." Santini went, go here. And I went there and then Martineau went, I'll oh, go on the edge of the box. So I went on the edge of the box. And he went, what are you doing on the edge of the box? I went, well, yeah, he said go here. And, it, and then they the kind of had a row, a little bit of a row on the training pitch, which was a bit weird. And that that was like you're thinking, oh, the writings on the writings on the wall here, and then the results didn't go too well. Even though I think we started off started off my Tottenham career okay, you know, playing wise, and then I got injury at, at, at the same time. When I got injured, then he got the sack. Then Joel come in, and then Michael Carrick got his chance, and then the rest is history. So, but I, I fell out. I fell out with the club because when I moved to the club, my uh, my ex was pregnant at the time, and my little girl was. It premature 10 weeks premature and the hospital was chelsea westminster hospital and the training ground was essex and that doesn't i know it's london but if you know it that is a long draw it was a, that's an hour and 45 minutes every morning and i just felt there was no compassion from the club whatsoever so i and that back in the day i was stubborn i was proper a proper hothead you know if someone pissed me off i'd i'd just say i, I would i had no filter whatsoever so I fell out. I fell out with the club immediately, and then it just went downhill. Got injured downhill from there, and then other stuff happened where I got injured. And they were, you know, they asking me to play. I was having injections, and you know, to get them through. Oh, we need you. And then the next following season, when I had that clean out, come back, they didn't even take me away on preseason tours. So I kind of felt used and lied to, and it was just, it was just a, a mess from start to finish,
1: if I'm honest. Who would you kind of look at for that? Was it Martin Yol, for instance, who you were going to say, look, you know, I'm injured at the moment. My daughter's been born premature. Can, can we just do something?
0: Martin Yall was fine with it. It was more club doctors and, and higher up and they wanted me to move closer. And do you know, I, I, I can take some of the blame because I was a hothead. I had no filter. I could have dealt with it. If I would have dealt with it differently, and not said anything and just done everything they said and, you know, got my head down I was so stubborn, you know, back in the day. Like, yeah. I, I think like, I could have dealt with it differently. If I would have dealt with it differently and swallowed, swallowed it, like probably, if I look back now, I would probably have swallowed it. And maybe things would have been different. But then, you know, like, there, there's no real loyalty in football either way. You know, if a player wants to move, he goes. If the club don't want him, they freeze him out. I remember... Being in a train, getting ready, going to train, standing there with Robbie Keane, Michael Carrick. I'm standing here, Martin Yole's to my left, and Clive Allen's about 300 yards away on the right-hand side with four kids. And before Martin Yole does anything, I go to the Carrows and Keane, I go, watch this. What do you mean? I go, watch this. Martin Yole, walk past me, walk 300 yards to the right to Clive Allen, walk back, walks back to the left, then... Clive Allen whistles over to me to come and join in the training session. And I go, See, see, it was just things like that used to really wind me up. I said, You're there. Why not just be a man and tell me you're not training with the first team? You're with them. I don't want you. When you get, and it was just things like that used to wind me up. And yeah, it just went down there on mate, if I'm honest. Yeah.
1: And so, did it become obvious that Tottenham? wanted to get you out of the door to get you oh family, yeah definitely whatever. they
0: tried they, they tried to get rid of me for Southampton to Southampton uh Damien Camoli, i fell out of him as well. But oh, they are I'm sounding like Andy Cole now aren't I <laughs> <laughs> uh, no Damien Camoli as well I fell out of him. I remember what, how I fell out of him I, we played Grimsby away in the carling Cup and I was on the bench for the bomb squad it was my birthday on the bench nil nil come on corner comes. comes come on it's nil nil last 10 minutes corner comes in i clear it in my head five ten yards outside the box volleys it straight back in top corner or wet in goal got the blame for that so i was thinking okay didn't didn't argue with that so got back late so it was to the training ground didn't want to drive back to Wimbledon because he was in the next day so i stayed in the regent's park hotel so got to the hotel it's my birthday. We just lost one, Neil. I was on the bench. I went, I'm going to go to the bar and have a couple of beers. It wasn't even a beer. Do you know what? Tell her, like, it was a Smirnoff ice. Classic. Sat there, had a drink with the barman, got on with him. Who walks in? Damien Camoli. Comes straight up to me. What are you doing? Me, like, like South London, proper rude boy, like I was, what do you mean, what am I doing? I mean, what are you doing? I went, what do you mean, what am I doing? Went, You're drinking, you shouldn't be drinking. I went, hold on a minute i didn't even i said i don't even have to explain anything to you i said go 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 back to bed go to bed Uh, this is how rude i'm talking to him but my head had gone by now so then obviously got pulled in the next day into the one of these little changing rooms at at Chigor training ground him and martin yell oh you know i heard you was drinking went drinking hold on a minute and i explained it to martin yell and he seemed okay and they both kind of went oh okay okay didn't get fined or anything and then from then on, Martin, you pulled me in. Oh, Southampton want you. No, I'm not going. They want to take you on loan. No, it's all right. Are oh, not going to play here? You're going to... Oh, it's all right. Fine, I'll stay. And it kind of just... The ball was up, so it was, there was no chance. Training with the kids, like doing... Crossing the shooting with no goal with Clive Allen. And I knew Clive, yeah, Clive was a nice guy, but I used to say things in front of me to see if they got back, and I knew they got back. So I was kind of digging my own grave, if I'm honest, but my deals were dug in, my heels were dug in, and I weren't I weren't going to change for no one at that time. So, yeah, it just didn't end well, mate. And obviously I got the opportunity to go to Portsmouth with Pedro and Noé, so that came at a great time.
1: Yeah, so was that kind of, did it kind of sound your memory then of Tottenham? Because it was, it was up and down and you were in the side initially and then, you know, players like Edgar Davids came in, Michael Carrick came in and got an opportunity. But it, it was more about the way that they did their business really and, and you know, tried to force
0: Yeah, out. listen, that's what I mean by no. Like, listen, if you're not doing it, at a club like Tottenham, they're always going to be bringing in quality players. They brought in Tom Huddleston, Aaron Lennon, who were young at the time, Michael Dawson, Michael Carrick. Uh, they brought in uh, Edgar Davids, Jermaine Jennings. So you go from playing to then getting injured to then having a fallout with the club to bringing in new players that Martin Yoles brought in. So I wasn't a Martin Yoles signing. in So you, you, the writing's on the wall. So you know you're no longer, you know, a part of their plans, which is fair enough. That's why... If I could go back in time now, like, go back in time, start your career for at Fulham, what would you do? I'd, I'd, I'd be a one that, I'd stay at Fulham for the, my whole career. I, I regret, you shouldn't live with regrets, but I do regret going to Tottenham, yeah, 100%. But then if I didn't go to Tottenham, I wouldn't have had my experience at Portsmouth. So it's, yeah, if, you could, if I could take it all back now, I would, I would never have moved.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But like you say, you had that great experience at Portsmouth. I know that, Gary O'Neill, one of your old teammates, described that 2005 five six season as the greatest time of his career because you looked absolutely doomed, didn't you, under Alan yeah. Perran. Harry Redknapp came in. In fact, I remember, I think it was a 5-0 defeat at Birmingham and you were done. Oh, toast. yeah. So how did, how did it turn around from that moment? Because you were done at that point. Oh, that
0: game, after that, I don't know, That game. I think that, that was the wake-up call. The 5-0 loss to Birmingham was probably oh it was horrible I remember the training it was like yeah we're down we're done but then kind of something changed I think kind of bollocking I think the players had a little chat together and it was a great it was a great team spirit there as well it was a great lads everyone was like it was a proper like training in the the cold showers training in port cabins your Premier League club you know you train it was it just brought everyone together you know and I always loved that's how that's how I started football at Fulham, like with nothing, and it kind of felt like that. It was nothing, but then it was a family club. The fans were brilliant. It was well right. It was community, and that was the kind of what I knew. So I kind of instantly grabbed towards that. But then after that Birmingham game, I think did we. Uh, I think the game that changed it. We lost that, but now I think Pedro Mendes scored two absolute worldies past David James. Against game was, pro- yeah, against Man City, and then. That game, if we didn't win that game, I think we were down and we won that game. And then we went on
1: to have a great run, so yeah,
0: thank God because you know, such a great club, such a great club.
1: Yeah, well, you joined with Pedro, didn't you? It was Pedro, M- it was a strange sign in that, wasn't it? The three of you came together, Harry Redna. You can't call him a wheeler dealer or he'll get the ump like he has on that famous video, but that was a great bit of wheeler dealing. You know, hammer and Pedro Mendes coming,
0: yeah. In. Well, he uh, well. He would probably say Pedro was the, <laughs> Pedro was his favourite. I don't think he, after a couple of weeks, I think he stopped talking to me in no way. So, <laughs> uh, but Pedro definitely uh, scored. But that, that, that week prior to that game, he was hitting worldies in the top corner, left, right and centre. So it was no surprise of the quality of the goal. It was just more, of, he's done it in a game and he's got us to three points. Yeah.
1: And seventeen points from your last eight games to stay up, which is a hell of an achievement. And what was that whole experience like playing under someone like Harry Redknapp? Was it like chalk and cheese compared to what you were used to at Tottenham and the disappointment that you'd had?
0: Yeah, it was. You know, it was playing under Harry, you
1: know,
0: what, he, what he did is when players were playing, he got the best out of them. You know, either by raising them up or they wanted to prove a point to him because they'd been dropped away. He just managed to get the best out of players, you know. And his tactics were, like, it was they're just effective. They're simple, you know. Work hard, get it, pass it, pass it to the same player, You know, run, work. It wasn't massive tactical genius, but football, you know, people overcomplicate football for me, and I think he, would, he he got it right in the aspects of you know this is your job. You know what your job is. Do it well. And then he always used to have a special kind of player and talent that, you know, used to like he brought in uh, Alessandro, uh, Argentinian guy, who was unbelievable. Then he brought in Carnu, who was unbelievable. Uh, he worked under Mercer, and he was uh, he always had that one special player that kind of was his favourite.
1: Teddy Sheringham.
0: Yeah, Teddy. So he, he used to get a lot of players, you know, that were quality, that used to work hard, but then he used to have that bringing that player that had that extra bit to help the team. and. You know, he was uh, proven. He, you know, he was a good manager. He went on and done a good job at Tottenham as well. So, he... like I say, after after three weeks, me and Nale was yeah nowhere. Pedro was his favourite. So,
1: what? So when you say he wasn't talking to you anymore, what had you been dropped? Had you dropped
0: been... Yeah, dropped? drop drops, not playing. No, not the normal, you know, conversations. Like if he knew, you knew when he was speaking to you, and when he weren't speaking to. You. Right, okay. you knew it. You knew it. You knew if he had the ump with you or if he didn't. Right. And generally, most of the time, he probably had the ump with me.
1: <laughs> but when you're playing, then everything's all well and good. Is that the general rule in football with managers and players?
0: Probably, yeah. When you when they need you, that's when they need your Managers, isn't it? When they need you, they they could they could call you uh, all the names under the sun. One week and have an argument. I remember having an argument with Harry in his office one week on the Monday. Thinking, yeah, that's me. I ain't playing again for ages. Played again played on the Saturday and played well. So there's probably a method to his madness. Yeah.
1: So were you disappointed not to get the nod for Harry's Heroes then the ITV
0: show? Uh no, not really. Oh well, it all depends if were they paying good.
1: <laughs> I don't know. It looked like a lot of fun though going into Europe.
0: Yeah, no, like like I said, I I, I like I like doing the uh, obviously uh i played in a few things for the PFA. A guy called Colin Hill at the PFA who's brilliant, does a lot of work and great work for charities as well. And he normally gets me involved in these uh, games at the PFA run and all that. I love being involved with all the ex-players and bringing back the memories and being that kind of team spirit and that banter. I think that's the most thing you miss when you speak to players is the camaraderie and the banter around the changing room.
1: Yeah. Now, we talked about your time at Tottenham and the likes of Edgar Davids, Jermaine Jenner, Michael Carrick coming into so that competition for places were pretty astonishing, really, at Tottenham for that central midfield berth. And then at Pompey, Diara comes in. We didn't know much about him. And then he goes on to become a top player and goes to Real Madrid. So, you look without out there.
0: Listen, I from, from the start of the season to the January, that was the best season I played for Portsmouth. That and probably when Tony Adams, uh, Paul Hart was manager. I was, I was playing really well. Then we brought in Diara. And after one training session, I went, shit, I'm in trouble. And I was thinking, this kid was unbelievable. He was ah, oh, He had everything. Low sense of gravity. He could dribble. He could pass. When he didn't have the ball, he was a rat. He would rash. He'd win the ball back. He didn't have any time on the ball. Quiet lad off the pitch. Nice guy. And I didn't play again. Didn't play again for the rest of the season.
1: I play park football or whatever. If I see someone who's really good coming to the team, I just reinvent myself and start telling the manager. <laughs> no,
0: I, I tried out. to. I tried to because we played three in midfield. So I tried to say, well, if I'm not playing there, I can definitely play in, in uh, the two in front of him because he's a one and then a two. But obviously you had, uh, he brought in Papadi up and Sully Montari. And Sully Matari was hit and miss, but Harry loved him because one minute he'd bang a ball in from 30 yards in the top corner, and the next minute he'd be kicking it into the car park. So there was there was just an argument to try and get in the team, but yeah, it was there was there was no luck, there was no joy. Like I say, I was on the bench for them the remainder of the season from January onwards.
1: Yeah, and then I've got to mention it. Unfortunately, the FA Cup final 2008. You missed out on a place in the squad against Cardiff. Were you expecting to be involved? Were you expecting to be one of the five?
0: I was expecting to be. On, I thought I'd be on the bench. But I thought I'd be on the bench simply for the reason that no one, meant, no one said nothing to me before the game. Yeah. Literally, the night before, you might get a heads up. Nothing. Got into the change room, named the bench, went on the bench. Went into those showers, spoke to Richard Hughes a little bit. He wasn't on the bench as well we were good powers at the time. To be fair, so much respect for Joe Jordan. He came in and went, listen, it's difficult. I oh, know I'm sorry. Went, Thanks. Joe. You didn't need to say that Joe, but appreciate that. I respected, we I used to argue with Joe all the time in training, but I respected him so much. He was uh, as straight as they come. Harry never ever mentioned anything to me to be, never said anything, but I didn't expect him to anyway. I've never drank so much white wine in all my life. Went straight to the bar.
1: What, you and Richard Hughes?
0: Well, Richard Hughes didn't drink, but I've I managed to corrupt a few of the younger lads that are in the squad. No, I'm not going to mention any names, but I did corrupt a few of the younger lads. Went to the bar. I was sitting on that bench thinking, I'm steaming now. Steaming drunk," And I, w- I, I, w- I didn't want to be that guy who salt. And even if they won, because I'd done that, we, 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 in the, in the, the build-up, I was on the, in the stands at Old Trafford when we beat Man United in the quarter-final and I was miserable after the game. And I thought, I did not want to be that guy if we win it. He miserable, thinking about himself. So I thought, I'm going to have a few drinks here. I'm going to try and enjoy it. I'm going to celebrate with the lads. And, and that's what I did, to be honest. So oh, that's what
1: I was going to ask. Did you manage to uh, join in the celebrations? But I suppose if you were up, it was pretty easy
0: oh very easy yeah and then the, obviously the celebrations after yeah it was it was it ended up being a good night to be honest obviously disappointing but it is what it is F- football football is probably 80 percent down ten, twenty, 10 20 percent up there's more downs than there is up so you kind of like, when you talk to these young players now you, the, the main thing i try and get across to them is you just gotta get that middle ground. Don't get too disappointed if you have a bad game, or you get injured, or you, you're not in the team, and don't don't get too excited when you're doing well and, and things are going good. It's all about that. If you can get that right, that's what the top players have, you know. That and obviously, outworking and the hard work and the, the the time and the effort and the dedication. That is probably one of the main the mentality.
1: So where did you end up? Did you, were you back in Portsmouth? Nightclubs
0: in Portsmouth, what was the crap? No, we, we was in London. We went to, we, I can't remember where the, we had a separate like a big uh, thing, and a, I can't remember it was a dinner and all that, but we ended up going to a club in London. We got a coach and jumped on the club and went into London. And obviously, I didn't get on a coach or a cab back. I just went home, so I lived in London. So I thought, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't even bother going to the parade.
1: Really, yeah. That. By that, you'd uh, sobered up, and you thought, "No, thank you."
0: Yeah, I just, you know, just but I, I, I regret it. The only reason I regret it is because the boys cracked on throughout the whole parade, and after that as well, and I missed out on that. So,
1: <laughs> well, after that, Tony Adams came in as manager, didn't he? But it didn't work yeah. out for him. Why, why did it not work for Tony? Um,
0: difficult. We were we were going for a bad spot at the time. A lot of players kind of left, I think. The team wasn't as strong, but I don't know, you know. uh, Tony was a great player. I got on well with Tony, to be fair. But for me, I just didn't think many of the other players bought into him. They didn't really believe into it. And that's me going back to that thing of, you know, if if not everyone's buying into it, then it, it never works. And there's always cracks. And you don't get the best out of the team as a whole. And I just didn't think a lot of the players bought into what he was doing.
1: Right. So, you ended up leaving. You went to Bolton. I was just watching this uh, game earlier, just some highlights. It's August 2009. Bolton are 2-1 up at home to Liverpool, looking like it's going to be a great three points. Go on, talk to me what happened and what do you think of Lucas Leyva?
0: Oh well, well, the first one, I got a yellow card. I can't remember the referee, but he was the worst referee I've ever played with. He was a proper melt. can't remember his name now, but... He gave me a yellow card for something to do before. And then Lucas Lever runs in front of me, falls over and he sends me off. Oh, I was losing it. Oh, I smashed everything in the dressing room that day. But to be honest, I was playing with the bit, my knee. Oh, by that time, my knee was so bad. I literally, it was so painful. It was a joke, but I used to just have injections or I used to take loads of tablets before a game. Obviously, when you, when you once you start the game, you'd, uh, the energy and you know you're, you're up for it, so you kind of forget about it. It's not too after the game, you think, Oh my god, I can't even walk. But that game was just, we ended up losing 3 2. I think Gerard's got a worldy to win it, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was disappointing, very disappointing. So I didn't play again after that, I uh, had an operation and I was out.
1: That Yeah, I was checking all your stats and I couldn't quite believe it, that you never played another professional game for two and a half years. We'll we'll talk about your knee and what it's meant long-term in a moment. But your last game then was a was for Bristol City. You went on loan at Bristol City, two and a half yeah. years out. Uh, and it was at home to Cardiff, March 2012. Did you know that it was over? Did you know that your knee just couldn't cope with it anymore?
0: Yeah, couldn't. I knew, yeah, I was... Trying my best. I just couldn't turn. My knee was so painful. I was always a player that always liked to train the way I played. Like Ledley King had a similar knee injury, but he just pulled it off, didn't train at all, and then come out on a weekend and be the best player on the pitch. That's Ledley King. But I needed I needed to train to get fit, and I just could never get fit. And My knee was so sore, so painful. Oh, it was just... It, yeah, it was a tough time, to be honest, but going on loan, just putting now in the coffin if I'm honest didn't want to let anyone down I just couldn't play to my full potential couldn't run couldn't move uh, yeah it was just didn't feel fit didn't feel sharp just yeah it was just so much pain after and before it was just such a grueling just to get get out to train it was so grueling you know you had to ice all the night before get into training two hours early try and get the right treatment before you go into the gym to do work to activate everything to then go back get another rub then to go out on the training pitch to warm it up again and then after the training to then come in to ice it and then to ice it get on the ice the whole night and then to do the whole same procedure it was just just draining to be honest it was tough
1: how did the injury first come about how old were you
0: uh first i'm inside inside of my knee which is the, the medial, I think, is the inside. I'd done that when I was playing for Fulham, just as I was about to join Everton. But the medial, the inside is not too bad. That's not really affecting me. I'd done the outside, funny enough, playing for Tottenham in a game. I'd done my lateral meniscus. And then from your lateral meniscus, I ended up doing having a fat pad, I had a cleanup, I had this. And then I had to have microfracture. So, first started at, at Tottenham as a lateral meniscus. But they always said if it's on the outside, it's always likely to be worse than the inside. And once I had it on the outside, it was just, just so hard to come back.
1: And what about now? Obviously, you had to retire at thirty-two, which is incredibly young. But I mean, has the knee problem had any effects going into retirement? Are you able to kind of lead a normal life, play with your kids, have a yeah,
0: yeah, yeah? I can do everything. Mainly, there's stuff in the gym that I can't do. But I, I play for a Vex team, so. If I play on a Sunday, yeah, and normally what makes it worse is alcohol. So obviously I'm playing for a vets team after the game, social, bang on a beer or whatever I'm drinking, the next day it's the size of a balloon. So it takes me three or four days or sometimes... I played in the uh, uh, the Senior World Cup with... Uh, the guy from Harrogate runs it. A guy called Paul Bell. Uh, Paul Bell played in it. Uh, not this year it got cancelled because of COVID. But the year before was my first appearance, and that's a game every day, which I couldn't do. I told him before I went, I wouldn't be able to play a game every day, but I'll be able to play you know half here, 20 minutes here. So I got through that, but that was even draining because I had to ice every day I had to get. Which brought back all the memories. But I, if I can get out, I can still play. It's just the, the effects after it.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, just hang on in there. As long as you're enjoying it, you
0: know. Oh, I love, I love, I love playing. It was, you no, know, love it still. You know, I mean, I still play for a vets team that we, you know, we only enter two cup competitions. Normally, either win them or get to the final. But uh, obviously, uh, the, the World Cup, hopefully, if, if it's on next year, which is normally in June, or be it's normally in Thailand, uh, need to hopefully play that again because we lost in the final to Iran last time. So, hopefully, I can be involved in that again.
1: Any other ex-pros involved with that?
0: Yeah, uh, Barry Howes. Uh, Dion Burton was involved in that. A lot of good, good semi-pro players. A lot of players that were in, in and out of the game in the lower leagues. So, yeah, it's a a great experience. Great experience. Great team, team, team spirit. And obviously, to go to a country like Thailand and play football is is great. No,
1: you can't grumble. I'm a big lover of Thailand and Asia, having lived out there for for many, many years. But I imagine that transitioning to retirement was difficult initially. But it sounds like you've still got your football. You're still involved with football. We're going to get you that job at Fulham as an ambassador. And you've got your fishing shore. So we're all Yes.
0: Listen... There's always someone out there with more problems than you. That's how I look at life. So everyone, so, you know, obviously I've had a good life. My family's, most importantly, my family's had a good life. Football's given me so many opportunities. So, you know, things could be better, things could be worse. So I'll I'll kind of just take each day as it comes and, you know, uh, enjoy the memories, but hopefully make some new ones in the future.
1: That's a lovely way to end things, Sean. Thank you ever so much for talking to me.
0: My, my pleasure. You're a gentleman, as always.
1: Brilliant.
0: Cheers. You look after yourself, and I'll speak to you soon.
1: And you, Sean. All the best.
0: Cheers. Take care. Cheers. Stay Bye. off those sunbeds, mate.
1: <laughs> no worries. See you there. Yeah. Now, just for the record, I've not been on a sunbed for about 20 years, although I may have spent a wee bit too much time in my sun-soaked garden over the past couple of months, usually with a nice chilled bottle of Provence Rose, which is much more my scene than fishing. Apologies, Sean. But what a lovely guy Sean is, he was one of the first players I ever interviewed when I edited Football Punk magazine back in the day and such a shame that his knees let him down and he had to retire at such a criminally young age. But if you've got any comments or want to get involved in the conversation, then please get in touch on Twitter via at Richard Lenton. Also, big thanks to Simon Oates, a.k.a. Junk Science for the Music, and to Leisha McCann, her voiceovers, one of which you'll hear in a second. Footballers Lives was brought to you
0: by the Phoenix Sport and Media Group. www.psm-group.co.uk